Hey, I want you to do something. I want everybody to stand up real quick, okay? Go ahead and bellyache. Ah. Everybody stand up, okay? Stand up. I need everybody to do something for me. It's going to take a minute. I want you to do this with me, okay? I want you to, I want you to point up to the sky put, and hold it up there. Hold it up there for a minute, okay? Everybody get it up there. Man, been a tough week, hadn't it? Been a tough week. But see, we know something. We know he is still on the throne. And we know he on the throne is going to come to a day where he points to his son and he says, son, it's time. And the son's going to come down here and end all this silliness. And we will be faithful until he does. Right? Right. You can have a seat. Let's study today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, thanks for coming out on a holiday weekend. We're glad that you came to be a part of us here. Got a lot of guests in the house, man. Had a chance to meet some of you. Thanks for coming. Got a bunch of guests tonight. So great to have you out. Give it up for our guests. That's awesome, okay? Um, awesome. We have a free um, Jeff Ruby's dinner for you. Uh, if you will take that little scan thing and just scan that right in front of you, that little sticker. Um, we might have ran out of those and we're down to water bottles, I'm not sure. Uh, but scan that. We have a gift for you we'd love to give you. And so just do that on your phone a little bit sometime while I'm preaching and it'll tell you how to do that out in the comments afterwards. But uh, we're just really happy to have you here. And Quilla uh, wants me to remind you, uh, June 10th, okay, night of worship. So everything here on steroids, okay? I saw some of the songs. You don't want to mention it. So June 10, 7 o'clock. All right. This weekend, we're going to tackle the third little stick of dynamite. And if you're new here and you're going, what are you talking about? Uh, those of you who know here, uh, been here for a while, you know what we're talking about. That if you picked up a Bible, you would see in that Bible, there are 66 books in this Bible and there are five of them that have only, how many chapters? One, okay? So there's five of them. Only five out of 66. And they don't get a lot of press. We don't look at them often. You don't hear about them. Some of them, you might not even have known they were in the Bible. But there are five of them, just these little tiny nuggets that are there. But if you dive into them, you find a punch beyond what you might have expected. And so what we're doing is we're taking uh, five weeks in our, our, our experience here at Eastside, and we're just kind of looking at those, those little places in the Bible that you don't look at very often and see what God has to say to us. Now, today's one-chapter book is entitled Second John, and you're going to hear me talk about that a lot tonight. And uh, what you're going to find out is that you've come on a weekend that we're actually gonna to do to a Bible study. This isn't so much a conventional kind of rah-rah motivational sermon as it is an actual study on this book called 2 John. It is the shortest book in the whole Bible. It only has 13 verses. So if you ever get in a, in a trivia game and somebody asks you that, shortest book in the Bible, you know. 2 John, 13 verses. Brief, to the point, Scholars tell us that when John wrote it, he probably wrote it on one piece of parchment. We have those from archaeological digs, 
and it's so brief that he probably just put it on one sheet of paper. It reminds me of the old story of the kindergarten class who took a field trip uh, one day to the local police station, and they were walking through one of the hallways, and they had all these pictures of people up on the, the wall, and little Susie asked the sergeant, what are those? And he said, those are some really bad people we're trying to find. And Susie said, why didn't you keep them when you took their picture? Huh, 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 what? So, so Susie and John apparently were cut from the same cloth, you know? Keep it simple, keep it short, but don't underestimate the punch, the power of these little books in the Bible. And you're gonna find that out when we jump into 2 John today. You're gonna find that out in a crazy way. Now, if you just sat down and opened up your Bible and just read it out loud, I did that this week, okay? It's gonna take you less than two minutes. And you might think, man, there's, there's a book in the Bible that it only takes about a minute and a half to read it. What could possibly be in there? But if you jumped in there and you read it in about a minute and a half, two minutes, you would find that there are a couple places in it. That's what we're gonna talk about in our study here. There are a couple places in it that are kind of inquisitive. In, 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 in fact, what I mean by that I'm gonna show you when we get to there that you would read those places, and they're kind of places that you would, if you were paying attention when you read it, you would kind of stop and you would go, what, what? And it's in those two places, in that little script of 13 verses, where John has a message that I don't know that there's a more needed message in our world today than this one right here. In those two little inquisitive joints. The first one comes right out of the gate and it spurs a bit of a controversy. So if you picked up 2 John and read the very first part, this is what you would see. The elder, comma, to the chosen lady and her children. That's how the whole letter begins. And you might kind of just whip through that and not think anything about it, but I want to suggest to you that right here is a very significant key to understanding the message that he's going to bring later on. I'm going to keep this up for a little bit. You'll see that in the ancient days, the writer of the letter or the book would put their name at the beginning, not at the end, like we do. And so what we're told here is that the author of this book is known as the elder. Now, I'm going to save us time uh, in this study. I'm not going to get into the detail of that. I want you just to trust me that the evidence is overwhelming. There is almost no disagreement at all that the elder refers to a guy by the name of John. And so that's why it's called Second John. And it's very important to know that John wrote this. And I'm going to need your brains here when we go through this study. And this is one of those places that I need your brain. And I want you to hear why. Because John comes from just about as strong spiritual standing as you could possibly get. John was the best friend of Jesus. And so here's this guy that probably knew Jesus on this earth better than any human being ever knew him. And that's the guy who wrote this. 
And so just by nature, the fact that we have the best friend of Jesus writing this, it causes you to say, dude, I'm gonna pay attention to this. This has got something I need to know. John was one of the four guys who wrote biographies of the life of Jesus. And many of you know that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all four wrote about the life of Jesus. What you might not know is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of wrote about the same story. John said, well, I knew him best. So I'm gonna tell his story in a little different way. I'm gonna tell you things that maybe nobody else knew. John was intricately appointed to know personally the savior of the world. And it's that John, that same guy, who wrote in your Bibles, perhaps the most popular book in the whole book, and that is the book of Revelation. And so God determined that I want one person and one person only, I want them to look into the tribunal of heaven. I want them to see heaven. I want them to see how things are going to shake out, particularly at the end of the world. I want one person to do that. And then I want that one person to come back and I want to write about it. And God says, who will I pick? I will pick John. And so somewhere between him being the best friend of Jesus and writing about his life, and at the end of John's life, writing about Revelation, when God let him peek into heaven like nobody else would, in between there, he wrote three small letters. First John, second John, and third John. Second John has only one chapter in it. And so you said, Dave, why are you spending so much time on that? The reason I'm doing that is because what I'm about to say as I unfold the message of this letter comes from a source that causes you to listen intently. This is powerful stuff. It wasn't written just by anybody. It was written by John the Elder. Now watch, here's where the inquisitive thing comes up that causes a bit, of, a bit of controversy, and I don't know that that controversy is ever completely going to go away. You will notice that it appears this is the only book in the whole Bible that is written to a woman. 66 books in the Bible, this is the only one addressed to a lady. And we don't know her name, but apparently she had children and she and her children were very influential people in some church of which she was apparently a part. She comes from good spiritual stock. Not only is she gonna receive this very important letter, but we know that she comes from a base of other relatives who are also very strong in their faith because the last verse in the letter, verse 13, look at it. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. So whoever this lady was, she had a sister whose children also were very involved in the kingdom of God. And so we wound up at this point that it's the only letter, the only book in the whole Bible addressed to a woman. It's the only one. However, here's the controversy. The controversy is that some people think that it's not really a specific woman. It is a metaphor for the church. So it's written to a specific church. 
And the children of that woman are the members of that church. That's not incredibly far-fetched because the noun church in the Bible is feminine. Jesus referred to the church as his, am I know, bride. And so is it a specific woman that got the letter or was it a whole church here like Eastside? Were they just sister churches? It's just like in this area, we've got Eastside Christian Church, Northside Christian Church, Southeast Christian Church. We are called sister churches. So is it a woman or is it a church? And that's very controversial and very debated. So, y'all know me, and you know, I I tell you this, but man, I I really mean this. I want you to hear me this. I take personal responsibility. I do. Every single week, I take personal responsibility that when I stand up here, I am prepared and I am ready to communicate what the text says that I've spent all the time that I need to to be able to find out what it is. And so this week I thought, I gotta figure this out. Is it a woman or is it a church? And so here's what I did. It was a night last week when my wife was out of town. She was up caring for a mom up in Illinois and so I was all alone. And so I got done with work and I drove home and I warmed up the meal that she had prepared for me because she's an awesome wife. And I, I ate my meal and then I'm all by myself for the rest of the night through the next morning. And I sat down and I put books all around me and I said, all right, doggone it, I'm gonna find out, was this a woman or was this a church? Those of you who are wondering how exciting of a life I live, now you know, okay? I had no idea how much was written about this. This has been written about for centuries by intelligent, godly people, and there are powerful arguments on both sides, and at the end of the day, we do not know. So all the ladies in the room can say, it was a woman. And you guys who are afraid will say, I think it might have been a church, okay? But here's the point, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. From my understanding of the details that are involved in that argument, I tend to believe that there was an actual woman who was very influential in a particular church. And so John wrote to that church and asked that woman who's very influential that he wants to make sure that she will get it passed out among all the congregation. And so why have I spent all that time on this? Why is that so important? I want you to hear this. Because what 2 John talks about is a message that God has for his church. And in that setting, it was delivered by a woman who stood and served for the kingdom of God. But it was God's call for the church. Now, why is that important? Because what I'm about to share with you in the message of 2 John is not a message on this weekend. I want you to hear this. This is not a personal message for you. And often when you come in here, we teach lessons and and show places in the text that talk about very personal issues. And some of you might say, that applies to me. And some of you might say, well, that, that really don't apply to me. This is not a personal message tonight at all. This is what God would want 
for our church. The focus of 2 John is God's message for the organization called Eastside Christian Church in Jeffersonville, Indiana. This is what God wants for our family. Now, once you understand that that's the letter, that's what's gonna happen in 2 John, you start to jump into it, and here's when the other inquisitive part happens. And this happens to be the message in these 13 verses, is right out of the gate. Once it's clear where it's coming from, who's it for? Right out of the gate, John starts talking about the love that exists within the body of the church. He starts talking about what it's like, if you and I were to apply it here, how love filters in to the body and the activity and everything that happens at Eastside Christian Church. And right out of the gate, he highlights this aspect that love is the permeating factor within his family. Notice how he says it, let's check it out. Verses four and five. And now, dear lady, that's another reason why I think it's a, a specific woman. He becomes more particular here. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And he goes on and says, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And so there it is. God desires the church to be a place where all people are loved. And so if I can give a message to our church, to all of us that call this place home, if I can speak to those of you who maybe are guests tonight and maybe checking this place out and wondering what is happening at Esau, if I, could, if I could put us all together and say, this is the heart of what God wants to happen. He wants this to be a place where we express love to all people. And I wanna say this at the outset, Eastside Christian Church is not perfect at that. I don't know any church that is perfect in loving people. You know why? Because we're people. I've had people say to me, I don't know why I wanna join your church. There's hypocrites there. I said, well, come on, one more ain't gonna make no difference, okay? No church is perfect, but I can, <laughs> that is not in my notes. I don't know where that came from, but I can have the Holy Spirit, yeah. It was holy, I'll tell you that. Let me tell you this. I want you to hear me this, because this is my heart just jumping out of my chest here. After six decades of living on this earth, I have never met another place or another institution that is more consistent in displaying love to people, both inside and outside that institution, than the church is. I don't know anybody, anywhere, that does it better than the church. I don't know, I've never seen it. Show me one other place that consistently is loving to people more than the church of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is simple. It's a very simple reason. Because we know what love is, because he died on the cross for us. 
And so if he died on the cross for the world, then we just kind of share that love with each other. And I'm telling you, there is not another place that does it better than God's family. And so I sat down at my desk this week. I had a little fun when I did this. I just thinking about this idea that the church is a place of love, okay? We just love people, all right? And I've had, by the grace of God, I've had a front row seat to that for more than four decades as pastors, churches. And I just started writing on sheets of paper specific stories that I remember where people were loving in an extraordinary way. And I just started writing some of my old memories, man. I'm just going one after another, after another, after another, after another. And I'm realizing there ain't nobody does it as good as we do. Nobody. And I'm, I'm just writing them down. And I'm going to protect their names, but I'm going to tell you just a few of their stories that are worth re reading and re worth telling. I'll tell you about Richie. Richie started taking his family to church when a friend at the ball field invited him. And Richie was one of those guys who had a family that they didn't do church, man. That wasn't their thing. But let's just say that he showed up and, and people were kind of surprised. Man, what's he doing here? And there wasn't anything in Richie's life that smelled like church at all. But he came because a buddy invited and they came for a few weeks. And then Richie's son was involved in an accident on vacation. And he's on a ventilator, he's not expected to live, he's 600 miles away from home. And that boy's youth sponsor, back home, who knew him in church for just a few weeks, jumped in a car and drove 12 hours to pray with him for two minutes. And then he got back in his car and he drove 12 hours back home. And his dad called me about it and Richie said, who does that, who does that? And I said, the church does that. The church does that. During COVID, we had a period of time where we had to seat people apart from each other. You might remember that. And we tried to keep you all from loving on each other too much. And, and so what we did is when you came in a room, we kind of helped you find a seat. We did that a little bit. And so one week, uh, Terry and Bridget were seated toward the front of the room right up in here. And they had this young couple, uh, Terry and Bridget, this young couple were sitting there. And this older couple came along and they were seated next to them by the name of Bernie and Margaret. And so you had, you had Terry and Bridget this young couple and Bernie and Margaret, this older couple, and they kind of talked to each other a little bit at services. And then after the services, Bernie and Margaret introduced themselves formally and they said, we'd like to take you young kids to breakfast after church. And so you kind of had this weirdness where these kind of really older people were kind of asking these younger people, like who in the world are these older people? And they would just go to, and, and let me just be blunt about it, okay? Let me be blunt, and I hope you hear my spirit in this. It was a little weird too, uh, because, because Terry and um, Terry and Bridget are not only very young, uh, but they were a mixed race couple, and that is not as common in Bernie and Margaret's generation, but it didn't seem to bother them. And so, so we had this, we had this, uh, we had this white older couple looking at this really young mixed couple and said, would, would, you, would you go have breakfast with us? And they went to Cracker Barrel. And next week when they came back to church, the older couple saw them again and said, hey, you wanna go to Cracker Barrel? And they, they went to Cracker Barrel again. And the third week when the young couple came in to be seated and the host said, where would you like to see? They, they pointed to the front and they said, free breakfast section. That's where we're going, okay? 
Where, where's that happening? Where's that happening? It happens at the church. And so Joe needed a truck and Bill had two. And so Bill dropped one of them off over at Joe's and Joe said, hey, when do you need it back? And Bill said, never. And Anna was losing her hair from the chemotherapy and it's pretty tough stuff for a lady, especially a young adult lady. And so all her friends set an appointment at the salon and said to their beauty shop people, take it off, take it all off. We're gonna walk with our friend on this. When Randy's dad died, he asked his minister, who happened to be a diehard University of Louisville fan, hey, would you mind wearing a University of Kentucky tie to honor my dad? And the preacher said, I don't know about that. But the preacher made some calls. He borrowed an ugly old blue tie, had some UK symbols all over it. He wore it proudly while conducting the funeral. And then Randy returned the favor with eight cardinal water bottles that he found at a good deal. And I still have those water bottles and I returned the tie as soon as I possibly could. <laughs> See, that's not just Eastside. It's not just Eastside. It's the church. That God has determined that the church be a place where love stands up so strong and so high that it doesn't happen like that anywhere, any place. And it not only will attract people here, but it will keep people here. And I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about because we talk to people who have been members of this church for years and years, and we talk to people who are guests who come in here one week and they show up the next week, and we ask them, what are you doing here? What are you still here for? And we don't hear music, and we don't hear preaching, and we don't hear kids' program. You know what we hear? That, man, this place loves each other. This place loves each other. And right out of the gate, don't miss this. Don't miss the flow of all this. The second John letter, John, the best friend of Jesus, writing to the church through this influential family of women and says to them, make sure love is the crying call of the church. And we'll never do it perfectly, but by golly, we're doing it pretty good. Now, don't lose me here because we haven't even got to the point of the letter yet. Because right here is when that kind of weird, inquisitive thing happens. And remember, it's short, it's brief, it's to the point, there's not much fluff. I mean, right out of the gate, love, love. And then there is this radical turn this 180 switching of gears and focus and a different tone. He goes from embracing people to standing against people. I want you to hear right after those words of love that we looked at. These are the very next words. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world and any such person is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. 
Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And then he throws this hammer at him. Look at it. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Next verse. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. And so when you're reading through that, you're, you're caught up in this, this idea that God's perhaps greatest messenger writing to the body of the kingdom of God about how love is such a strong factor in the church. And then it's like the brakes hit. Is that, but there's some people that you need to be totally against. And you go, what? What is happening in the text is that in that day, the Christian message was carried from town to town by traveling missionaries. That's how the gospel proceeded from one city to the other city. And when those missionaries would go from city to city, they would stay in the homes of Christian people. We will read that next week in the next book that has one chapter. And so let's say a missionary came to our town and you housed them, you took care of them, you had given them a place to stay, food to eat while they were there communicating the gospel. And then often there were certain people who brought a message that was contrary to Christianity. The most common form of that in New Testament days that has filters in it in almost every New Testament book was a philosophy, a religion, if you will, known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed in part of what God taught in his word, but they did not believe that Jesus was the son of God. They did not believe that Jesus as a human would die on the cross. They did not believe that Jesus would go back up into heaven. They discounted the primary truths that came with our faith. And so John writes them to say that you must not partner with them. Don't even let them come into your home. And you hear that and you might say, dude, I never knew that was in the Bible. Why is that even in the Bible? Well, the, the point about it all is because they were a church of such incredible love. And John's concern, don't miss this. John's concern is that you can be so wrapped up in love that you compromise truth and you turn a blind eye to truth. And so I believe the message of 2 John is this right here. In our passion to be loving to all people, we must not compromise our commitment to truth. See, love is not a license to throw truth out the window. And we have to be careful with that in God's desire for a church. I believe this is the clarion call of the church in today's world. 
I believe it is among our strongest challenges of a modern church that we can't allow our sweet spot of love to trick us into thinking that truth doesn't matter. I interviewed a young man to be a youth minister many years ago. Don't worry, it wasn't here, okay? And I asked him in the interview, I said, tell me the most creative thing you've ever done with students. I just wanna say, are you creative? Do you know what to do with kids? And he said, I took a group of high school boys to an R-rated movie, and then afterwards we went and ate some wings at a local Hooters restaurant because I wanted them to learn what the real world was like. That was his answer. And those boys didn't need a lesson on what the real world was like. They needed a lesson that the real world was wrong. And somewhere along the line, you and I have to be very careful in today's world that in our call to love people and to love everybody and to be open and welcome and warming, we have to be careful that we don't do it with closed eyes to evil. It does not say that evil is okay. And we have to be careful with that as a church today. Do you remember the powerful words from Isaiah 5, written 650 years before Jesus, by the way? Woe to those who, you never seen this, you're gonna be blown away, who call evil good, and they call good evil. Am I crazy, or is that where we're at? That which is good is now evil. And as I said the other day, they will cancel you on the spot when you say that. And that which has always been evil is now good. Don't allow our passion to be loving to people to lose sight of that. John said, don't even let them in your house. You might remember earlier in the message, I shared that John wrote this, this letter that we're looking at. He happens to be the same guy who wrote the book of Revelation. And if you've been with us in our virtual Bible study on Revelation that we did earlier this year, which by the way, we'll get that started again toward the end of summer or early fall. We'll get that going again. But if you were part of that, you know that the book of Revelation was written to seven different churches. And so the John who wrote Second John here, the John who said, Master, love, but don't be blinded. Don't be blinded. Don't turn a blind eye to, to the failure of truth. That guy wrote to seven churches. And if you went back and looked at those seven churches, you might be interested to note that one of those was the church of Ephesus. And if we took the time, which we won't, and looked back at that letter, he talked to them that they had a commitment to truth that they allowed to overshadow their passion to love. So all they did was say the things that were wrong, and they said it judgingly and mean-spirited, and they stood on truth, but it washed out love, and God condemned that church for it. There was another church by the name of Thyatira. Thyatira had a passion to love, and that overshadowed their commitment to truth. 
That, oh, we just love everybody. We love everybody. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you believe. Oh, we just love everybody. And God condemned Thyatira. And just maybe, just maybe, the chosen lady was a member of the Thyatira church. Now, let me speak as your pastor here at Eastside. If I had hair to let down, I would let it down, okay? I don't know. I don't know how to say how proud I am of our church family for the love that you display here to people. I don't know how to tell you how proud I am of you of that. And what I said earlier, I, I mean that. This is a place that is known in our community as the place of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. That's what we're known for. You wanna start over? You can start over here. And there's a lot of people in this room right now that you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because we're talking about you. And I just want you to know I'm unbelievably proud that this is a place where people feel loved. And your love for Jesus is equally as impressive. It can be seen in your, your joyful worship I'm telling you, I've been to all kinds of churches. I don't see people joyfully worship like you do. I've seen your willingness to serve around here. I see you reaching out to your friends and bringing them here to meet Jesus. Your intentional love for each other and for our Lord is unbelievable. And I believe that's why the favor of God rests on this place. I believe that. Even during the tough months of COVID, there was an anointing of the Holy Spirit on this place. And I believe it was because of our love for each other. And I say all of that to say to you that the strategy of Satan to the kingdom of God, including Eastside Christian Church right now, is not to challenge us on our love level. He knows he lost that. His trick now is to convince you and I to compromise the truth, to turn blind eye to the truth and do it in the name of love. And so how will you and I respond to that? Here's our response. The Bible is the word of God. It is the standard of truth, and at Eastside Christian Church, we will stand on that, and we will protect it in the highest spirit of love possible. Will somebody say amen to that? Amen. Father God, I thank you for the powerful lesson in just these short words in 2 John, and I pray that you will help us. Lord, you and I have talked about this. Father, you've seen me shake about this. And we will need backbone in the days ahead. And I pray that you will give that to us. And I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who loved us so much that he died. It's in his name that I pray, amen.